Lord, we make room for you today. You have given us this temple. The Bible calls it the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we invite you to come and inhabit this temple. This man, this woman. Lord, that you would fill us today afresh and anew with your glory, Lord. With your promise. With your love. Lord, we believe that the only place to be is in your presence. Yes, Lord. You've created everything around us. You're everywhere. And today we just want to thank you thank for you, giving us the life you've given us you, and the future life that you've promised you, us, Hallelujah. eternal life with Jesus in heaven forever. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Today, Lord, if there are any here that just need... A, they just need to be put back together. <laughs> Maybe there's somebody here that they're going through something that nobody should have to go through, but Lord, they're there. And they need God's love. They need you to fix them. Man can't fix them, but you can. You know us intimately, inside and out. Yes, the Bible Lord. says you even know how many hairs we have on our head. Yes, Lord. And I pray for those, Lord, who need you most today, that you would just intervene in their lives let them know they're not alone because the bible says you will never leave us you'll never forsake us and lord today we just want to honor you the king of kings the lord of lords the master of the universe you have created us and everything in it have your way with us today we pray this again in jesus name Everybody said amen. 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 Thank you, Mary, and the worship team. Hallelujah. Now you may be seated if you'd like to. It is time to release the children. Don't they all look so happy? Hope you guys have an amazing morning. (laughs) What a tribe. Hey, those are our kids. Amen. So as they're heading down to their prospective rooms or parts of the building where they have more fun than we probably have. Oh, we have fun. Just not the energy that they have, right? Um, I just wanted to, we haven't advertised this well at all, but this afternoon, immediately after the service, I am going to be teaching our, our, one of our first classes in a while, and it's called the Hope 101, which is just an introduction to the culture of this church. And it's, it'll be about 45 minutes, it's not going to be long, um, and, and I'll get through it fairly quick, but if you're new to the church and you're just wondering, you know, who are these people? What are they like? What's this church all about? How do I get plugged in? Whatever. Those are the kinds of things that I'm going to discuss this afternoon in a, in a very brief format. So I would invite anyone uh, to join us for that, okay? When, when is it going to be? 
right after church, so once, once the altar kind of clears out, uh, assuming that there will be prayer here afterwards, then I'm going to bring everybody in. So grab a coffee real quick, use the restroom, and get back here if you want to be a part of this. Amen? Amen. Now, here we go. Are you ready for this? <laughs> oh, my. Guess what? There's another week. <laughs> I, hey, I tried. I tried. I tried to finish it this week, and I'm like, no, it's impossible. There's too much there. So next week, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that it'll be the finale of this uh, series that I started many weeks ago. All right, so we're looking at the life of Joseph, of course. And I wanted to begin today with this quote from none other than Henry Ford, who was attributed to saying this, whether you think you can, say it with me, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Does that make sense? Because it's, it's really our perspective that determines whether or not we're going to succeed at something. And if we're convinced, I can't do this, Guess what? You won't. You'll hit that target every time. But if you're assured, convinced, confident, first of all, in your relationship with God, that you will succeed, most likely you will. And I, I believe that this is very true. So, if you purpose in your heart and mind to be victorious, then you most likely will succeed. When it comes to the life of Joseph, the Bible hero who we have been examining this past several weeks, it, it becomes obvious to me that he was convinced he was going to succeed. First, he had that God-given dream, right? Remember that, when he was a young man. But that wasn't enough. A dream isn't enough. He also had to have the resolve, and some call it grit. You know what that is, right? Grit. It gives you traction. <laughs> have you ever run your hand over like uh, 80, 80 grit paper? Man, it'll take the skin right off, right? And don't ever put your, your hand anywhere near a grinder that has one of those on there. It'll go deep. And that's what it means. It means to have the, the traction to get things off the ground. you got to have grit as a Christian. So my question to, to you is this. Do you have the grit to succeed? You know, it's really easy to just give up. To get into our little ball, you know, that fetal position, you don't want to do this anymore. Anybody? Some of you probably been there. And I'm not going to say I've never been there. Life's a challenge. And Joseph went through turbulent times. His life showed us that as followers of God, and, 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 and hear me here, we can expect highs and lows, good things and bad. Let me point this out. First, Joseph was loved by his father. Didn't the scripture say he was the most loved? 
In fact, Jacob gave him a coat of many colors. He didn't get his other, other eight brothers a coat of many colors. Just Joseph. And then he was, that was a high, by the way. Then he was disowned by his brothers, sold into slavery. What would that be? A low. Then he was promoted to run Potiphar's household. A high. Then Joseph was wrongly accused of rape, thrown into prison. Another low. Then he was promoted to run the prison. And then there was the long wait for deliverance. Remember, he was in there a long, the scripture said he was there a long time. That would be a low, wouldn't it? If you've spent any time in prison, you know what I'm saying. And finally, Joseph was promoted to second in command in all of Egypt. I would say that's another high, wouldn't you? So as I see it, there is an ebb and a flow in our lives. And none of us should go, man, what's happening? It's going to happen. It's called life. You have highs, you have lows. Deal with it. Get the grit to get through it. Joseph certainly experienced what I'm talking about. So we're going to begin again today reading from Genesis 42. And we're going to see what I'm calling somewhat of a family reunion here in just a minute. And I have to beg your forgiveness. Just a moment. And he's back. Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob, who was Joseph's father, heard that grain was available in Egypt, first of all, remember we just went through this, right? We had a seven-year harvest, and then there was a seven-year famine. All right, so we're in the middle of this seven-year famine, and everybody is getting hungry. So Joseph heard that there was grain in a, available in Egypt, and he said to his sons, sorry, why are you standing around looking at one another? He's talking to his sons like a dad would do. I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we're going to die. Well, good advice, right? <laughs> You'd think these guys might have figured that out. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them. So we see Jacob had another son after Joseph. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. Uh-oh. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We've come to buy food. I mean, you could almost hear their voice crackling like they were still in puberty. You know what I'm saying? Any of you guys know what I'm saying? You remember those days, guys? You're trying to impress a girl? 
Hey there, baby. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I want you to pay attention to this next verse. This is really important. I'm going to share on this. Verse 8. Although Joseph recognized his brothers. What? They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. I want to pause here just for a moment, and I want to share something from a good friend of mine, Pastor Manuel Melendez. He wrote this in a blog several weeks ago, and when I saw it, I went, man, this is perfect. I've got to share this. So I want to share what Pastor Manny, as I call him, said of this verse, and I quote, I find it interesting, Manny said, that although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Despite the trials and setbacks that Joseph faced, he stayed faithful to God, and that faithfulness created growth and opportunity. Everybody say growth and opportunity. All of that growth caused him to change, speaking of Joseph. As we allow God to grow us through all that happens in our lives, we should change. Look at your neighbor and say, you should change. All right? This is just part of being in the kingdom of God. The old man is dead. You're a new person in Christ. You're born again. And you should look like it. Manny went on to say, our future self should look different than what we would look like now. How many of your future selves would be smacking you right now? You seen that commercial? Yeah, anyway, never mind. It's the evidence of growth, and I like to call growth fruit. There, your life should have visible fruit in it. You should look like things are getting better. If it isn't looking that way, then you really need to examine yourself and find out what the problem is. The problem is that those who don't move forward in life won't recognize you and may not even like what they see. You see, this is a real problem for those who become Christian, especially in the, the initial beginning stage, because a lot of the people that you hung out with, your, quote, friends, they're not going to like this new you, this Jesus freak, as they used to call us. They're looking at you going, what in the world happened? They don't understand it. Joseph's brothers were still shepherds, living in the desert. They were still doing the things the way they used to do it, in other words. They were living the life they had always lived, and they weren't familiar with Egypt or its customs. Not only that, but their expectation for their brother was that he was most likely dead or still a slave. They could never have imagined what was standing or who was standing in front of them. It wasn't a possibility in their minds. You see, when we become a Christian, everything changes. And hopefully, we start to realize that things that used to hold us back no longer do. You know what the limit is on your life and, and how much you achieve? You. You. Just what Henry Ford said. If you think you're going to be that way, that's how you're going to be. I want you to consider 
what Manuel said next very carefully, and I'm going to put it up behind me. As we grow in our faith, whether we are brand new in our walk with Jesus or we are moving into areas of maturity and faith, we will start to look, act, and live differently. We will start to look, act, and live differently. And here's the thing. There's a chance others won't like what they see. They won't like you. They may not even recognize you because this new look is something they could never have imagined. People don't understand the grace of God until they have experienced it. They don't get it. When the Lord cleaned this man up, I cussed like a sailor. I I smoked four packs of Marlboros a day in my early 20s. Where do you think I'd be today? In a box if God hadn't gotten a hold of my heart and delivered me from that nasty habit. He delivered me from alcohol and, and all the other things that were available. True story. A couple of years after I had become born again, I was in a restaurant. It was known as Bill Knapp's. If any of you guys are old, you might know what I'm talking about. And I used to love their au gratin potatoes. Oh, can you, that little bowl came out, piping hot. You'd burn the roof of your mouth off, but it was so good. It was worth it. And I'm having lunch with my wife and a couple other friends of mine, and the waitress kept looking at me. And I didn't recognize her right away. And finally she came up and she goes, is your name Norm? And I'm like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. And she looks at me and she goes, she actually said a little cuss word and said, I can't believe you're still alive. (laughs) My wife's sitting here just smiling because she knew who I was. I'd shared that with her. And now this lady's like, what happened? And I got to tell her, I met Jesus. And I'm telling you, I had a grin on my face. I had that Jesse Duplantis grin. There, there, there was no avoiding it. And, and she's looking at me going, well, that's amazing. Congratulations. And I think she meant it. People didn't recognize me. They thought I was dead, which is kind of a, an example of how I lived my early life. I probably shouldn't have lived much longer. But Jesus. Manny continued, but this new Joseph was exactly who he needed to be, hear this, to save his family and thousands of others. As we submit to God and all that he has for us, we will become different. Newsflash, you're going to be different. If you're the same as you were before Jesus met you, or you met Jesus, then something's wrong. 
We will grow. We will change. And even if those around us don't understand and those closest to us don't recognize who we are, we need to open ourselves up to being vessels to be used by God to bring His goodness, His love, and His kingdom to this world. Amen? And I want to thank Pastor Manny for that nugget of truth. Verse 9. And he, Joseph, remembered the dreams that he'd had about them many years before. And he said to them, you're spies! <laughs> oh, man. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. No, my Lord. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We're all brothers, members of the same family. We're honest men. Can you imagine what Joseph did when he heard this? We're honest men. Yeah, did you throw your little brother in a pit? How honest were you? I mean, I can only imagine what's going through his head. Yes, you are spies, Joseph insisted. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said. Sorry, I have to keep looking back there. There are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. He's like, duh. <laughs> now, if you notice here, Joseph's playing a little bit of a cat and mouse game, isn't he? I think he's enjoying this. Come on, you'd be doing the same thing. What an opportunity to just get a little bit of... Make them feel how he had to feel the last many years he lived like this. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you were spies. This is how I'll test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, <coughs> So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. <laughs> Wow. I was trying to wrap my mind around that. I'm a God-fearing man. Here he is running Egypt. Now, obviously the Egyptians knew he wasn't one of them, as we'll see in the future, because they separated him from the Egyptians. But he was a Hebrew man, and his brothers apparently hadn't figured this out yet. If, you're really, if you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth, and then you will not die. And to this they agreed. Can you imagine? How do they figure out who's staying? They already saw what he did to the youngest brother. What if they do that to me? Leave me high and dry. So my guess is it was not an easy thing to figure out which one of the boys was going to stay. 
speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. And let me just add here real quick, unless you deal with guilt, it will consume you. Hello? Is this truth? This is one of the reasons I think we all need the cross, because guilt will kill us. So I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what you're dealing with, things you've done in your past, but let me just say this. If you're living there with guilt in your life, please lay it at the cross, lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, forgive me. God, I can't deal with this anymore. And he'll change you. Where was I? Sorry. Oh, there we are. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for this blood. By the way, there's a reference in Genesis 4.10 that, that talks about, remember Cain and Abel, the two brothers? It talks about them, and after Cain had killed Abel with the rock, God said this to him. He said, his blood cries out. That's what they're referring to here. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and he began to weep. And I, I love this part. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. So obviously they couldn't figure out which one was going to stay. Joseph had to do it for them. But look at, look at the fact that their brother had a heart. He wept. This was breaking his heart to do this. I think there was a little part of him that enjoyed it. But there was another side of him that, that hated it. Hallelujah. Joseph ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain. But he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home, so the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain and headed home. But when they stopped for the night and one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey, he found his money in the top of his sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned, it's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank, trembling, and they said to each other, what has God done to us? Now it's God's fault. You ever notice that? You screw up. You do something that's completely idiotic, and it results in bad things happening to you, and what do you do? Why is God doing this to me? Brother Greg Boroviak, when he did the offering today, he talked about you reap what you sow. And that's truth. That's scriptural you do. And this includes when you do wicked things, wickedness is going to come on you. So don't be surprised by that. What should we do to avoid that? Don't do wicked things. Treat people with love and respect. <laughs> no. No. 
I'm going to skip over verses 29 to 33. There, the brothers return home to Jacob. You can read this on your own. They, they tell their father what the governor had said to them, how he was very mean, how he insisted that they were spies. Finally, the governor let them all return, with the exception of Simeon. And now they were expected to return with their youngest brother to prove that they were not lying and were not spies. So verse 35 of chapter 42 as they emptied out their sacks, there in each man's sack was the bag of money he had paid for the grain. The brothers and their father were terrified when they saw the bags of money. Can you imagine what's going to go through your head when you see this? Jacob exclaimed, you're robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone, Simeon's gone, and now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is going against me. Verse 37 and 38, though Reuben offered to sacrifice his own two sons. What do you think his sons were thinking on that one? Hey, wait a minute, Dad. Really? You got no skin in the game. He offered to sacrifice his own two sons to Jacob if they didn't return with Benjamin. Jacob refused to send his youngest son, Benjamin, to Egypt, though, fearing that the governor would kill him, too. Now moving on to chapter 43, the plot thickens. But the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan. When the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, go back, buy us a little more food. Can you feel the tension here? Can you imagine how they were feeling? They may have forgotten about Simeon at this point. See what I'm saying? <laughs> Poor guy. They had to go back to Egypt and beg the governor for four, more food, otherwise they would all die. Now verses 3 to 13 in chapter 43, it just shows the pressure of the situation. Now on Jacob, and this patriarch, he comes up with a plan to soften the blow. He sends gifts with his boys, and he finally concedes to the request that he include his youngest son to return with them to Egypt. And then he offers a type of prayer. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. That's a sad prayer. But what did he do? He finally yielded to the fact that, you know what? This is in God's hands. I can't do anything about it. And if we don't get food, we're all going to die. So I give it to God, and I pray that he shows mercy on us. It's always wise to include a prayer, isn't it? As I begin to close this week, Hopefully, like I said, we'll finish the rest of the story next week. I wanted to point out a few points. First, when you place yourself in God's hands, that's the safest and the best place to be. Amen. Two, only God knows your future. And you can plan accordingly when He 
is guiding you. And three, you will change for the better as you place your life and very being into the Father's hands. But those around you may not like it. Reading from Isaiah 64, 8, And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. What I believe Isaiah was saying is simply this. We all put ourselves in God's hands. And even at that point where we become a new person, a new creation, the Bible says in God's hands we are a masterpiece. Now, before our sins are forgiven, I wouldn't think we're a much of a masterpiece. We were created in the likeness of God, in His image. But then sin came in and we were messed up. We were denied because of that one act of unfaithfulness. And the way back is simple. (laughs) We call on the name of Jesus. And when you do that, when you pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins and make me this new person that the Bible describes, you are placing yourself in God's hands, in the Father's hands, like a piece of clay. How many worked with clay? You, you did it in school or whatever. and It's kind of fun, isn't it? You, know, you can put weird ears on it and, or make a little cup, ashtray. Well, we don't do that anymore. You know, but you can make anything you want out of it, and that's my point. And when you put yourself in God's hands, He can make anything out of you He wants. What used to be meant for evil and wicked purpose is now reserved for divine, can almost say it, divine purpose. You're in God's hands now. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm in God's hands now. He is the potter. Say this, he is the potter, I am the clay. And in his hands, it's going to be okay. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but hey, we could do a rap song on that, couldn't we? We may not understand the way in which God chooses to shape us. I don't think Joseph did. (laughs) I think he was expecting things to happen a lot sooner than they did. However, God's ways are always the best way. So like Joseph and others who have finished their race that we read about in the Bible, maybe even some of our modern heroes of faith, like them, let God have control and let him shape you for his kingdom purpose. You will never regret it if you do. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. I have a a little prayer I'm going to read here in just a minute, but I just want to start with this. I don't know if there's anybody here today that maybe you're new to this idea, new to church, but you sense in your heart that something isn't right. You haven't made that 
statement of faith, you haven't asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins. I just want to give you that opportunity today. So if anybody here needs Jesus, and, and I, listen, every single one of us, if we're born again, we were already there once. We made this decision. And after it happened in my life, man, I ran around telling everybody, Jesus forgave me. I'm a new person. He cleaned me up. I'm different. They saw that. So this isn't a, a moment of embarrassment for you. It's just you saying to God, I need you. So if that any, anybody here, just raise your hand real quick. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Hands going up. Thank you. Others, yep, thank you. Thank you. You put them down. We want to pray with you first. And then I want everybody to pray this other prayer with me. It's kind of like, a, I'm going to call it a Joseph prayer, but anyhow, we'll, we'll get to that. So let's pray for those who just raised their hand for salvation. Because this is the, whoo, you know that the Bible says when somebody invites Jesus to come into their life, that there is a party being thrown in heaven by the angels. That's in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. That's how much God gets excited when somebody says, I need Jesus. So if this is you, this is an amazing moment in your life. And this little simple prayer may not seem like a whole lot, but it's life changing. It's, it's eternity changing. So grab on to this. And, and from this point, after you pray this prayer, from this point on, see yourself as victorious right? And you're going to be a winner in God's kingdom. Thanks to Jesus. So let's pray. And, and I would ask our saints here to join us. Heavenly Father, I am so blessed to know that Jesus died for me. He went to the cross, was beaten, was drained of all life, for me. He took my place. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb. He had to be sacrificed so that I could be forgiven. So today, I put my faith and trust in my blessed Savior, in my blessed Savior Jesus, Jesus, Christ. Jesus Christ. Forgive me, Forgive me. Of, all of all my unrighteousness, all my sins, all my sins. Known, known and unknown. I give you my life and all that I have and all that I am. And I put it in your hands, Father. Now shape me, mold me. Turn me into the person you want me to be. I give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Now, when you walk out of here, you're going to be hit from every side. I'm just telling you, if you don't already know this, it's not easy being a Christian.
especially today. So when the enemy comes knocking on your door, trying to accuse you of all the things you did wrong, what are you going to say? You're going to say, get behind me, Satan, for all my sins are under the blood. Hallelujah. And then you go on living the way you're supposed to. Well, pastor, I don't know how to live. That's why we have this little booklet. The start of something wonderful that Ken and some of the others have. It's a little green book. Please grab one of those if you don't already have one, and it will guide you in the, the journey of being a Christian. Now, I'm not done. We've got one more prayer to pray. This is what I'm, I'm going to call it to Joseph prayer just for lack of a better word. So here's what I want everybody to pray here, because I really felt like this is something we as a church need to do. We have stumbled through this life for so long, and it's time that we started to go through it intentionally. The Holy Spirit wants you to understand He has a plan and a purpose for your life. A plan not to bring harm to you, but to give you a hope and a future. That is what God wants to do. But you have got to go after that and stop being so stupid lazy. Can I be frank with you guys? I'm going to be Norm, but you get what I'm saying. I want you guys to understand it. This isn't me saying this right now. This is the Holy Spirit is on me right now, and he's telling me to tell you this. Is that okay? Stop being lazy. Start going after him with a vengeance. And, and when you start doing the things that God has for you to do, you know what's going to happen? You are going to prosper beyond your biggest dreams. You are going to achieve things that you never dreamt possible. We're talking about God here. He created the universe. What can he do with you? And he wants you to put yourself in his hands every day. Here's the prayer. I want you to pray this with me. I'm going to turn around and pray it with you. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, as you change us for what is ahead, may we not resist, but instead embrace what you are doing in us and allow the Holy Spirit to have his way. May we welcome the way we look, act, and live, even though old friends may not recognize or like the new us. Finish it with the words, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I believe God has something special for this church. If you're online, I believe the same for you. All of us in this place. God's not dead. God's not done. His church isn't finished. We're just beginning. We are in some of the best days this world has ever seen. And when it looks like all hell is busted loose, what a great place for God to show up and show off with his people. And I believe we're going to see this more and more and more as we yield to him and let him do what only he can do in us. So I'd like to invite our prayer partners up. 
If you have any prayer requests today, any real urgent needs, please come up. And, these, these people are praying. They know what it means to intercede and to seek God's face. And you'll hear and see results in your life. So please come and, and avail yourself of this if you'd like to. And let me just finish with this. I don't know what God's going to do next in this church. I know a week from tomorrow we start our new Monday night church, which I have felt for many years now that this is something we were supposed to do. COVID sort of sideswiped it, but that excuse is over. If you know of anybody that can't make it on Sunday, this is a great opportunity for our community to still get to church and get their tanks filled spiritually. So that's a week from tomorrow on the, uh, is it the 12th? Um, keep that in mind. I'll talk more about it next Sunday. But I love you guys. Be praying for us. There's so many things coming at us right now. We could really use your prayers. Father, thank you for this beautiful meeting today. We ask that you would just bless each one as they come and go. Keep us safe, Lord, and help us to let our light shine amongst all men and all women and all boys and girls in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Again, Hope 101 in about 10, 15 minutes. Go grab a coffee, use the restroom, meet back in here if you'd like to join that class. God bless.